Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He says earlier in another place, he says, uh, the hope of glory, the, which is the uh, Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now it says that you might charge some. See, that's a little authoritative there, isn't it? Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Evidently somebody's teaching other doctrine that they're false doctrine. He says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That means unfaked, real. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And that's the title of this message. Using the law lawfully. Okay? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, that's homosexuals, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm going to stop there. Look. Anyway, using the law lawfully. The law, and we're, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, it is true that there are different categories of law. When you speak of all of the laws of God of the Old Testament, you have the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. You have the uh, uh Civil laws, which are laws to, con to control their behavior, one with another in the camps. And then you have the uh, ceremonial laws, that's the laws of the offerings, the sacrifices and all that, and the dietary laws and all of those things. And so you have those categories of the law. 
Now we as Gentiles, non-Jews, we have never been under the dietary, civil, and ceremonial laws. They were given to the Jews as a nation and given when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. <clears throat> so we've never been under those. <clears throat> but the moral law, the Ten Commandments, that's a different category. And we find in Romans, I'll refer to that again later, Romans 2nd chapter, the moral law is not only written on tablets of stone with the finger of God, we have them printed up here in the front wall, but the gist of those laws are written on the hearts, the consciences of all mankind. And that's why even those who have not the written moral law are still condemned by it because they've got it written in their hearts. And he tells us when you do that which is against what you already know, that is sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him is sin. It is sin. So when those have not the law do by things that came contained in the law, they become a law unto themselves. And so there's just no getting away from the law of God. Now, the harmony of the law and the gospel, and we could say the harmony of the law and grace, when you speak of the gospel, you're talking about the gospel of grace. You're talking about the grace of God. And the harmony of it, that they go together. Our confession of faith that we have subscribed to at the Richmond Road Baptist Church many years ago. Of course, our actual confession of faith is the Word of God. But a, an abbreviation of it, uh, a, 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 just a little taste of it, we use the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. This is a little book that... Uh, J. Newton Brown was commissioned back in the 1800s to write that, to have a reasonable statement of the beliefs of Baptists. And all true Baptists believe what's there. Now, we believe probably other things that are, that are there, but it is an abbreviation. Has anybody ever tried to read the Philadelphia Confession of Faith? It ain't easy. And it takes a long time. The Westminster Confession. There's several out there. Slitheim and many of them. It takes a long time to read them. And most people are just not going to take the time and try to struggle with it. They're difficult reading. So I'm thankful that we've got that little booklet, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And here's what it says in Article 12. Uh, some call them the Articles of Faith. And here's what, here's what Article 12 of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Now, don't get bored with this. This is vital stuff. It's important stuff. We believe that the law of God is the eternal and unchangeable rule of his moral government. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. That it is holy, just, and good. And there are the references. There are citations where he goes in Scripture. 
and that the inability which the scriptures ascribe to fallen men to fulfill its precepts arises entirely from their love of sin. Paul said it like this. The law is weak through the flesh. Anyway, to deliver them from which and to restore them through a mediator to unfeigned obedience to the holy law is one great end of the gospel and of the means of grace connected with the establishment of the visible church. Now, you can probably read over that a few times and finally dawn on you what it's saying. But we believe that the law and the gospel, the law and the gospel of grace, harmonize. They don't conflict. And yet, we see that from our text, that there have been problems all along. Not with the law, not with the word of God, not with the gospel of grace, but with men, mainly men. I reckon there have been some women along the way, but mostly men in the forefront. There you got some. Uh, he said they've gone to vain jangling. Wanting to be teachers of the law and knowing not what they're talking about. Now you've got some that go to an extreme with the Ten Commandments and say that's however you got to go to be saved. Well, that's an extreme. Then you've got the other extreme. Oh, it's all grace and with the law's abrogated. It's done. We don't more, no more law. Brother Brown says that both of those are half-wits. I mean, that's in print. Anybody wants to read it, it's there. If, you, if, if, you're, a, if you're a legalist, you, you're all about the law. Or if you're all about grace, you're a half-wit. I wish a lot of folks would hear that. And I believe Brother Brown is absolutely right. Well, so there have been problems with that. Uh, there was a fella back in the second century named Marcion. You hear him? M-A-R-C-I-O-N. Marcion. Uh, matter of fact, he's known as the heretic. <laughs> That's what they got, Marcion the heretic. If you ever get read of something about him. Well, you know what he did? He rejected the whole Old Testament and about half of the New Testament. <laughs> Not only that, uh, he made his own Bible. <laughs> well, we've got some of these. I mean, Andy Stanley down in Atlanta, I mean, he just like him. He's done rejected the whole Old Testament. And the reason they're doing that, I don't know about Markion, but I know about these modern dudes that are doing that, rejecting the law. That's so they can open the doors of their church to anybody and everything, and especially this LGBT bunch, and get them in. Get them in. Well, we don't believe the law anyway, so we take them in by grace. That's what's going on. I mean, it's going on big time. Well, people are trying to get big congregations. Say, so, well, you're you're chewing on sour grapes. No, I'm not. Not at all. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for a long time, and I made the choice many years ago. That I'm going to follow the word of God wherever it takes me. Anyway, so that was Marcion in the second century. Uh, and he, he also rejected 
the humanity of Christ. Well, you think there's not people today that have done that? I heard an independent Baptist preacher in the pulpit of a Baptist conference. He said Jesus was not a man like we are. And I spoke out. I said that's heresy. But all, most of them had already amened him. And that's why I'm not real keen about a lot of fellowship with a bunch of those guys. I really am not. Anyway, that was the second century. No telling what came in between there. But then uh, it seemed like it came to a head in Martin Luther's day. Well, you know, Martin Luther did his deal in the early uh, 1500s, 16th century. And Martin Luther, uh, his, his main doctrine uh, that, he, that he espoused, that he found, and he probably got, got it from Baptist, he didn't, he didn't invent it, was justification by faith. Well, if you're justified by faith, then what are you justified by faith in? Jesus Christ, his person, and his work of the gospel. So that was good. I'm proud of that. He was a German Catholic priest, monk, and then he rejected the sale of indulgences, taking money from people to pray them out of purgatory. And so he's posted his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg Palace door. But anyway, I don't agree with Martin Luther on much else. He was a hater of Baptists, a persecutor of Baptists. So I'm, I'm not going to give him more credit than he deserves, but he does deserve that much credit. But now, there was another fella uh, that was friends to Martin Luther in the 16th century. His name was Johann Agricola. Now, I expect you all to remember these names. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just kidding you. Anybody ever heard of Johann Agricola? Now you heard something brand new. Most of you heard Marquion and, uh, and Agricola. Boy, you're learning history, aren't you? <coughs> anyway. <coughs> Agricola was a friend of Martin Luther and a helper for a long time. But then somewhere along the way, Agricola rejected God's law. Especially the Ten Commandments. Well, he and Martin Luther got in a controversy over it. And I'm with Martin Luther over it, over that. But now Martin Luther tagged Johann Agricola. He said, you are an antinomian. Well, that's a compound Greek word. Anti means against or instead of. Nomian from the word nomos for law. Against the law, an antinomian. Well, every now and then you might have heard the term antinomian used. Because it's, it's very much applicable today. That there are many people that are against the law of God. They say that they believe in the, in, in the grace of God and that the law has no more sway over us. That's what they say. I know we don't believe that, but that's what they say. And there's a lot of them around right now. I hope some of them even listen to this. Uh, they probably won't. They're probably turned off as soon as they 
hear what I'm talking about. But I like what Brother Brown said about them on both ends of it that there were half wits. Nobody can get the words out like Brother Brown. Anyway, uh, so there's been a whole history of people anti-nomian, anti-against God's law. And they're with us very much so even today. Now grace does not cancel out the law. Somebody said, Will said years ago, you never accept a truth as the truth. There are other truths to consider. There are many truths in the Bible. And one of them does not cancel out the others. If the only way you can see one is if it cancels out the other, you don't see that one correctly. So, need to keep that in mind. Now, Either extreme, <laughs> against the law, or exclusively grace, there's heresy. All right. Look at verse Timothy, well, chapter 1 and verse 8. We know, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. That is according to the law. <clears throat> so, Paul's not lying here. He says, we know that the law is good. And that law is right there. The Ten Commandments of God. Now, lawful use of the law, and that is using it as it was intended to be used. Not as somebody wants to use it, but as it was intended to be used by the giver of the law. And speaking of that, look at James 4. James, the fourth chapter. Look at verse 11, chapter 4. James, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? And I want you to remember that one. There is one lawgiver. Every Baptist church, every Baptist preacher, pastor needs to keep that in their mind. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, he says there is not a word only in the Greek. But this is a Greek word, haste, and it's one. He says it means one to the exclusion of all others. 
Isn't that pretty plain? One to the exclusion of all others. That would, that would be the Pope. That would be all others. That would include churches. We need to be brought to remember that we're not here to make laws for God. Amen. There's one lawgiver. And this lawgiver is able to save and also to destroy. So we had this discussion about church bylaws. You know, you have to admit with what I've said thus far, to bring up the subject of church bylaws, you know there's got to be something wrong here. If there's only one lawgiver to the exclusion of all others, why are churches making laws? We've got all the laws that we can that we need or have a right to have. When churches begin to learn about the doctrine of church discipline, sometimes brethren would get all zealous over it and said, well, let's make this an excludable offense. Or let's make this an excludable offense. Absolutely not. The New Testament teaches us all of the excludable offenses. You've got 1 Corinthians 5, you've got Romans, Timothy, you've got several places, Romans, where it tells you what the excludable offenses are, and we don't have the intelligence, good sense, or the mandate to lay down more laws. And that's, I've seen it. Tried to work with it. When a church has got a whole set of bylaws, they will, they will fight you tooth and toenail over their bylaws, but they don't care what happens with the scripture. I know it for a fact, and if you push me, I'll tell you it was. That I've had experience with that more than once. You know why it is? Because if a pastor and the men of the church get together and they draw up these bylaws, that's their creation. Amen. Just like when somebody builds an idol. Draw a picture of Jesus. Make a big cross. And you love them. You get mad at anybody that says anything about them. But they're idols. Because they're your creation. They're not God's creation. Anyway. So. There's one lawgiver. And that means to the exclusion. Of all others. Including the churches of the Lord. Now we know. The law was never meant. To condemn. Or judge the saints of God. I'm saved. Not because I'm good. 
Not because I've done anything or because I haven't done something. I'm saved by the sovereign grace of God, by His mercy, through the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lock, stock, and barrel. When I go to heaven, it will not be because of what Jerry Gum has accomplished. It will be because completely what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his work of redemption. Amen. So, I said, well, what about breaking the law? <clears throat> I have a mediator. Can I sin after I was saved? Oh, can I? My Savior has paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. He took all of my hell's punishment upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And he paid my sin debt. Does that mean that I am free to break the law of God? Let me just ask you this. If we're in a question and answer situation. Brother Randy. Are you free to break the first commandment? Have no other gods before him. You're not free to break that are you? Are you free to break that, Brother Tim? Well, I know I certainly am not. How can anybody that says they're saved say the law doesn't exist? Well, I thought he saved you from the law. Yes, he did. The penalty of it. Amen. Now, but he saved me in order to keep it. Amen. So, the law was never meant to condemn the saints of God. Look at John 5, 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now just think about the words there. If you have believed unto the saving of your soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. If you ever lose it, you never had it. If it's everlasting life, it is eternal life. It never ends. If it ever ends, it never was. If it ever ends, then to say that you had eternal life is a lie because you didn't have it. People need to think about what they're saying. 
And he says, if you're that one that have believed to the saving of your soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life, and you shall not come into condemnation, but you're already passed from death unto life. Man, what beautiful words. And they mean what they say. So we know the law was never meant to condemn a child of God. Look at Romans 6. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over ye, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. You're not under the law to be saved by it, but the truth of the matter is nobody ever has been. And we are under the grace of God. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. I said that the law was never designed to condemn a child of God. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that just means walking after the flesh, not walking after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That just means that you actually are in Jesus Christ by faith. And there is therefore now no condemnation. Look back at chapter 4 of Romans. Even Verse 6, even as David, now that's back a thousand years before this. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. You mean David had the same kind of salvation we do 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Paul? Yeah. And you can take it all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. The same salvation. The blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth or chargeth righteousness without works. What righteousness is that? That is the earned righteousness of Jesus Christ that he earned by becoming a man, kinsman, redeemer, and obeying the law of God as a man for all of his people. And then imputing or charging that to them by faith. Saying, verse 7, blessed are they. Now that blessed makarios in the Greek, the Intense happiness, not giddiness, happiness, are they whose iniquities, those are sins, are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, charge sin. Are you one of those, a man or woman? To whom the Lord will not charge your sin to you. But it's not because he is overlooking sin. It's not because he just said that's not important. How important it is 
that he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die for all of the sins of all of his people for all time. And because of what we have in Jesus Christ, we have attained it by faith. He will not charge sin to us. Does that make you want to go break the law of God? If it does, you're not saved. Amen. Now, we could go on the second one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, likeness, or anything. How many people claim to be saved and they've got images all around them? And we'll overcome it to a time of year that they're all going to have them. Big time. Already talking about it. <laughs> Already talking about it. See, it doesn't get less. It gets worse. And it's getting exponentially worse. Anyway, look at Colossians and then we'll get on something else here. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet, that's the word for suitable, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, what light? The light of God, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And of course, that forgiveness of sins is the remission, the sending away of our sins, not to be charged with them anymore. So no one, no power can bring our sins back and charge us with them. Satan will try to convince you that they can but no power can. And you listen to most religions and they'll tell you, yeah, you can be charged with them again. But not the word of God. Anyway, next, the law condemns slash judges the lost. To condemn is to judge. And the law does that for lost people. Those who are not in Christ. Everybody is not in Christ Jesus. I don't care what all the church signs say and what all the people says. So they say that smile, God loves you. They tell those lies, but it's not true. The only ones God loves are those who are in Christ Jesus by faith in his gospel. And all the rest are lost. As a matter of fact, the same chapter of John 3 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That verse is absolutely true in everything that it says. But if you go to the end of that chapter, it says, For the wrath of God abides on their heads. Those that are not in Christ Jesus. Same chapter. 
Anyway, look at Matthew 5. In verse 17, as Jesus speaks here, people claim to want to just believe what Jesus says, what he taught. Well, here's something Jesus taught. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. <laughs> hey, all you antinomians, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Think not I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Well, the law of God has never been repealed. Now I will say that the civil laws, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they've been fulfilled. They really have. Uh, Look at Romans 2 real quick. Verse 11, for there is no respect to persons with God. Now, is that Jew or Gentile, rich or poor? No respect to persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law, in the law, shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, some people haven't known the Ten Commandments. But you read the rest of that second chapter and you find out that God put it in their conscience, in their heart. That's why you can go find Hammurabi's code of ethics. You didn't hear that from God. Where'd they get, how did they know that it was wrong to steal, wrong to kill, do various things like that? They knew it because it's in their conscience. You don't have to tell people that it's wrong to murder someone. They just don't think, they think it's wrong to murder them. They don't necessarily think it's wrong to steal your money. But it is definitely wrong to steal my money. You want to get somebody hot, you take a thief and let somebody steal his money. He wants to kill them. Probably will. Well, if it's wrong to steal my money, how come it ain't wrong to steal your money? Where'd you get that knowledge? Well, God put it in there. That's where it is. Anyway, Christ approved the teaching of Moses as his own. John five forty five. I know I'm turning you a lot, but you can write them down. He says in John 5, 45, 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. And to Stanley, you need to read this. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus believed the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch, didn't he? But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Jesus equated the writings of Moses with his words. They are the same. And the law has never been repealed. Back in our text, let's see, chapter 1 Timothy chapter 3. Yeah, that's wrong scripture. Yeah, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, from what which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. That is against the law. They don't know the law, and they don't know what they're talking about, and they act like that they are experts on everything, but they're not. The law has never been repealed. But the law does teach righteousness. Well, chapter 3 and verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, Received up into glory. And we see other scriptures here where the whole word of God is given by inspiration of God. Part of the word of God is Exodus 20. That is the giving of the law. It's also in Deuteronomy and several other places, plus it's in the New Testament. So the law of God is part of the scriptures and every word of scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching instruction in righteousness. Now, everybody hadn't been raised with the teaching of the scripture. Matter of fact, anymore, they're less and less kids that have been raised up hearing the word of God talk. Having it taught to them. Many people are totally ignorant of the Bible. They really are. And if they hear the gospel, and if God works a work of grace in their hearts, and they repent and believe the gospel, I believe they'll be saved regardless of what their background is. It is the gospel that is the power of God Unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Everyone. But then you got a problem. It's a little more of a problem with those that have never heard the word of God. Than it is with those that have heard it. But it's a problem with both sets of people. 
Now that I'm saved, how do I live my life? They don't know. They've listened to people say that homosexuality is just another way of life. They've, they've been brainwashed with that. Right in your own home, they've been brainwashed with that. What do they do with all that stuff? It's okay to just mess around, male or female. That's just another lifestyle. It's all right to do this, all right to do that. They don't know any better. Where do we start with our life to God? I know. Ten Commandments. Now you know everybody's so anxious to make their own laws. All these politicians, they want to make their own laws. They want to make laws. They've got so many. They don't even know. They don't even know which ones they made last week. And here they are trying to make others. <clears throat> the wisdom of the law of God. The intellect that created the Ten Commandments. I know all oh, that's old fashioned. That's old fashioned. No, no, you need to stop and think about that. There's a lot of people in the world, what, three billion now, with a B. And you take all the people that have been here ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and there weren't any other people before Adam and Eve. Anybody that tells you were, they're liars. There were no prehistoric animals, prehistoric times. It all started in Genesis 1-1. But think of how many billions of people have been alive in this world. Think of how many different types of people. We've never been ape men. But there have been giants in the earth. There have been all kinds. There have been midgets, pygmies, and been giants. And everything in between. There have been some that are just black, black. And some that are just white, white. Generally, we're all just one shade or another in between there. There are very few black blacks and white whites. I'm not white. <laughs> uh, but there, there are different shades. But there's all kinds of people. How many languages? You can find out how many languages are spoken in the world today. But that doesn't take into account all of the dead languages. There are languages that, that nobody's around that ever spoke, heard it speak, uh, spoken. When, when, the, when the Israelites, when the Jews went back to Israel in 1948, at that time, all of the philologists had no idea how ancient Hebrew was supposed to be pronounced. When I enrolled in Brother, Brother Brown's Hebrew, uh, his class, uh, his language class, uh, they didn't know then. That was 1969. They didn't know then how Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, biblical Hebrew was supposed to be pronounced. Every time he'd pronounce a word, he said, we think it's like this. They teach it in Israel right now. 
That language has been revived. Never been another dead language revived. And they can teach you how to speak it in six months if you want to learn it. But how many languages? Ancient Babylonian. You know how that's in? And then all the other languages that nobody even remembered, knew about. All of that. But you know what? God's Ten Commandments are absolutely binding on every single human being from Adam and Eve on. So they're binding on you? Well, they were. Until Christ fulfilled them and paid the debt for them. He fulfilled the law by by obeying the law every dot, jot and tittle his whole lifetime fulfilled that's what he said he fulfilled it he fulfilled the law the end of the laws the righteousness of Christ his earned righteousness but then he died to pay for my rebellion against the law but do you realize the ten commandments Tell you what every sin is. It is comprehensive. It covers all sin. That's why James said if you're guilty of one point, you're, uh, then you're guilty of it all. What kind of intelligence, intellect, was that that wrote the Ten Commandments? I don't think he had to struggle with it either. You see what I'm saying? Everybody wants to be a law lawgiver, lawmaker. No, there's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, and that is to the exclusion of all others. Now, all even Paul refers back to the uh, civil laws. Uh, the ox is worthy of. Uh, uh, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treaded out the corn. That's one of the civil laws. But he quotes that as reference to a preacher, taking care of a preacher, paying a preacher. So the law is not done with. And what about all the offerings? Well, Jesus Christ fulfilled them. But we've still got them and we need them to help us see the depths of what Christ has accomplished and his death on the cross. And somebody says we don't need them. I'll tell you who we don't need is them. Anyway. Then I want to say this. The law of God is right. <laughs> Look at uh, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. <laughs> and verse 7. The law of the Lord <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. 
The statutes of the Lord, that's his law, are right. That's where I got that. <laughs> Said the law of the Lord is right. I didn't, I didn't conjure that up. That's where that came from. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the law of the Lord is right. Now you know there's a whole host of laws that are just plain evil. Did you know that? I'll give you some examples. Uh, well, some people's laws have reduced people to animals. Yeah, they are. The old slavery laws. You know it was, used to be against the law to educate a slave? I heard people when I was a kid question whether blacks were human. I've got, a, I've got an article in my file on heresies from a guy in Texas. He wrote a whole article saying that blacks were the beasts of the field in the Garden of Eden. They weren't even human. Many laws were made about that. Evil. And then Adolf Hitler came along in the 30s <coughs> and he overthrew Germany, became the dictator over Germany. And they made laws that Jews were not human based on Charles Darwin's Theory of evolution. They said that Jews were animals. When you've got school teachers in the Fayette County school system and most other school systems that teach your children that they're animals, what's the diff? And so they convinced the German people that Jews weren't even human. So then they confiscated, beginning with the Kristallnacht. Y'all know what the Kristallnacht was? That was the night of glass. And all of the glass in the Jewish storekeepers' stores was broken out. And then they made all the Jews wear a star of David on their arm to mark them out. And then they confiscated all of their goods. And then they marched them into cattle cars. What if they're animals? Why not put them in a cattle car? And those trains, I've been right through that big, that big entrance, the railroad tracks going into the, to Auschwitz. I've seen it with my own eyes. Been in that awful place. 
seeing all of the piles of children's shoes that break your heart. Piles of eyeglasses, teeth, except for the gold. They broke the gold out of their mouths and stole the gold. But it was all because they followed Charles Darwin's evolution. His book of favored races. The Australians. Did you ever see, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the, huh? Yeah, the, the, went down to Australia to shoot because he was shot with that big uh, gun. You know, whatever it was, he could shoot for miles or two. Anyway, got him down there, and he found out what they wanted. That guy wanted him to shoot the aboriginal blacks because that's what they were doing. That wasn't a lie. That was based on historical fact. That's what they did to the aboriginal tribes because Charles Darwin said those people were on the bottom of the evolution list. They brought some of those people back here to the states and had them in cages with monkeys showing them around the country. One poor fella, he took him away from his wife and family Put him in a cage, locked in a cage with animals, with monkeys, and sh- took him around, showing people, people gawking at him. He finally committed suicide. He was a human being, and somebody telling him that he was an animal. Your school teachers are doing that right now! And it's based on the same book, Charles Darwin, Origin of the Species, and Whatever else about favored races. He said they're on the bottom of the evolutionary scale. And we blonde haired, blue eyed, I ain't that. But we blonde haired, blue eyed people, we're on the top of it. And that's what Adolf Hitler said. That's what he taught his people. And that's why they ended up gassing, shooting and gassing. Six, over six million of them. And I think. Stalin and Russia had the same doctrine. Now, I said some laws are just plain evil. But praise God, God's laws are not evil. There's nothing evil about God's law. Matter of fact, according to the psalmist there, his laws will bring joy to your heart. (laughs) God's law was never intended to save a sinner. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Brother Brown says the law can no more save a sinner than it can damn a saint. I thought that's pretty good. What can the law do? Expose sin. 
In Romans 7, I'm not going to take time to go through that whole chapter, but he said, Paul said, I thought I was alive one time in the law. But <laughs> He said, the law came and I understood it, and then sin revived and I died. So the law exposed sin to Saul of Tarsus, and God used that to shine his light in him. The law can lead you to Christ. Galatians says it's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It can also promote worship in the child of God. Look at 1 John 1 and I'll quit. Verse 4, he says, These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It promotes worship. It promotes joy. So we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Let's stand.